Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome back into Sports Talk here on WWL. Happy to welcome into the NFL radio huddle ESPN draft analyst and insider Matt Miller. Matt, how you doing? And thank you for the time. Guys, I'm doing great. It's it's draft season. So, of course, <laughs> I'm in a good mood. So it's great to be uh, hanging out with you guys today. Obviously, we are knee deep in mock draft season and looking at yours at pick number 14 with the Saints. are going to go there right away since we are in black and gold country. Uh, you've got them taking tight end Brock Bowers, which would be an awesome upgrade at the tight end position. Uh, just what have you seen out of the Georgia prospect heading into the combine? Oh, my gosh. He's he's close to perfect as a tight end prospect. And I'll say this. Uh, he is a top 10 player in this draft, but because of positional value is available at this spot for the Saints. And I, I did look at this as a best player available type pick uh, with the quarterbacks off the board. So that's a, a big part of that equation. But Bowers is a player I've compared him to George Kittle. I think that's the type of weapon you're getting offensively. Uh, maybe not as accomplished as a blocker as Kittle is right now, but certainly has the ability to get better. He's strong. But, I mean, as a pass catcher, he's so versatile. And even at times for Georgia, he's running the ball out of the backfield. I mean, he's just such a, a dynamic asset in the in the offense. So he is someone that, you know, with changes offensively, I think there's going to be a need for that number two option in the passing game. And, and for me, Bowers can be that guy. I think that's an interesting point is like the position of value because, you know, as you mentioned, so there's all these star tight ends in the NFL, but you look around, you're like Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. None of these guys were first round picks. So I guess how do you yeah. kind of weigh that when you have it's like, okay, this is a generational type tight end prospect, but at the same time, the value might not be there. And you look at it kind of similar to running backs where it's like, yeah, Saquon Barkley has been a star, but has he been good enough to justify taking him number two overall, right? Kyle Pitts, for example, with the yeah. Falcons. I'm just curious, say, how do you kind of evaluate that when you look at a guy like Brock? I think the nice thing about Brock as opposed to someone, you know, like, and I know Saints fans know Kyle Pitts. Well, you play him twice a year. Uh, Brock is able to play in line. He's able to block. He's able to help in the run game. Whereas you know, Kyle Pitts is a he's a big wide receiver basically, and that's not a knock on him. There's a, there's value in that, and you look at his rookie year, and there's value in that. I think the difference is Kyle Pitts is a player you have to scheme for. Brock Bowers is not. He to me is more in the mold of someone like Sam Laporta, uh, who was you know picked 34 last year, goes to the Lions, has a huge impact. Uh, he's you know someone a little bit more like T.J. Hawkinson or in that Kittle mold of they're gonna be on the field every down. And by virtue of their ability, you can move them around, but you don't have to put them in the slot. You don't have to get them in motion. They're a tight end that you can run your offense through. I don't want to compare anyone to Travis Kelsey because I think he's in kind of a tier by himself, what he's done the last 11, 12 years, but it's that idea. And I think that's why even last year we saw so many tight ends drafted in the first 
hundred picks. We saw eight of them or nine, maybe in the first hundred last year, uh, because teams are saying now, well, we can run our offense through the middle of the field, you know, with timing based offense, with option routes, we've got quarterbacks who can move now. So I, I think Bowers does fit that, that mold of we're rethinking the tight end position to where it, it is still valuable. I think, you know, you can look at, can look at what they're being paid. Tight ends are not as valuable as wide receivers based on how they're being paid. But, you know, we saw four teams in the championship conference championship games who you could make an argument. Their tight end is one of their most important assets in the passing game. Protecting Derek Carr, obviously a big issue last season and something the Saints are going to need to upgrade either through the draft or free agency. And I know this tackle class is chock full of some stud talent, maybe the one of the best position groups in this year's draft. Do you see something that could shake out for the Saints in this draft in the early rounds where they could end up picking someone there? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, they gave up 35 sacks last year, so it's got to give, you know. And unfortunately, the Trevor Penning pick has not panned right. out uh, the way, you know, that you spend a first-round pick on a guy, you're hoping he's a, a foundational piece. So I think so, yes. Um, long story short, what's interesting about this tackle class is there are two guys, and they're going to go really early, Joe All and Olu Fashano. They're going to go top seven picks probably. After that, there's a lot of good tackles, but they're all right tackles. And obviously, Ryan Rebchek's a pretty dang good right tackle. So you get into this conversation of, can we move a guy over? Can we move uh, Talise Fuaga from Oregon State, can, who's a great right tackle? Can he flip sides? Or Amarius Mims from Georgia, who only started eight games in college, but I would say those eight games are as good a tape as any tackle in this class. Can he move? Could Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma make the move to left tackle? We saw him do that a little bit at the Senior Bowl. So because I think the need is more, I would argue, more specific to that left side, you start to look at the first round and say, you know, would we be better with a Brock Bowers? Would we be better with a, if one of the wide receivers falls? And then we get into you know, later rounds looking at where's their good value with the left tackles. Someone like Patrick Paul from Houston, I think, is a really good option. He could be there at 45. Someone who had, you know, six foot seven, really good mover. So not that first round pick, which we all want left tackles to be first round picks because you find such great uh, players in that range. But I think round two this year is a spot where having that 45th pick is going to be really important that maybe you're finding your left tackle a little bit later. You know, those first round grades, I know you wrote about this recently where I think you said that you had 15 players or so with, with first round grades. And I think it is interesting because when you draft where the Saints are, you're at number 14. So it's like if you have 15 players with first-round grades, you can guarantee you get one of those players. Yeah. But is it one of the players out of position of need? And and I think that's where you, you run into this ideology of like every team will probably say, hey, we're going to take the best player available. But a lot of time it's, hey, we'll take the best player available out of position we need, right? You're not right. necessarily right. fully in that in that mode. So I guess when you when you are looking at the board at number 14, do you have to be willing to just kind of let it come to you and, and – and go by your board or how do you, how do you look at that from a philosophical standpoint? I'm a big believer in best player available at a position of need. You know, I don't, okay. if the best player available is a fullback, you don't, you're not drafting, right? <laughs> it's like, you might have a, you might have a perfect grade on a guard. I'm, I'm one of like, drafting a guard in the first round. It's hard for me just because of the positional value, you know, and, and the numbers say you can find a pretty good guard outside the first round. So I think you have to look at those core positions, quarterback, wide receiver, left tackle on offense pass rusher or a corner on defense is really where we're going to see a lot of the first round picks go. And I, I think for the saints at 14, we're probably going to see four quarterbacks off the board. We're probably going to see three wide receivers off the board. And I think there's a good chance we're going to see three offensive tackles off the board. So like you're eliminating a lot of those 
premium positions. But the good news is, you know, the, one of the top corners could be there. One of the top pass rushers could be there. And if, even if you're not in a position to take one of them, it is going to give you a lot of good trade back opportunities. So, you know, I wouldn't advocate for some of the massive round one trades we've seen the Saints do in the past. But, you know, maybe you kick back three or four spots and get a little extra draft capital. And then you're more in the neighborhood of where you want to be for uh, one of those tackles that you're going to have to move or, you know, maybe maybe the first guard comes off the board in the 20s. I think that's a more comfortable spot than 14 when you add in the, the extra draft capital that you would get from the trade back. ESPN draft analyst insider Matt Miller joining us here. And I love the fact in your mock draft, you got quarterbacks going one, two, three. I've seen some mocks having a guy like Jaden Daniels falling out the top five. And that just doesn't make sense to me. I was wondering what it is about Daniels game that uh, some folks are still convinced about. Yeah, I don't know what people are waiting for uh, on a player. We've watched him play in college football for five years. I mean, you've seen it all, you know. And so, I man, I don't see a way that, that he falls out. I, I, In fact, I think if the Patriots don't draft a quarterback at three, they would trade that pick, knowing that, you know, the Giants or the Vikings or the Saints or the Raiders, like someone is going to need that that third quarterback and, and value them really highly. So, I think with Jaden, people get stuck in their – early perceptions of players and i'll admit this is hard to overcome sometimes you watch a player as a freshman you watch players as a sophomore sometimes you get stuck in that good or bad you know a guy like sam howell played pretty well early in his career kind of nosedive at the end but you get stuck in those perceptions and i think for Jaden, people are stuck in arizona state instead of looking at what he did the last year's lsu and actually giving him the credit for what he did the last year's lsu it's easy to say oh but the wide receivers well, C.J. Stratt had good wide receivers at Ohio State. He's doing just fine. Joe Burrow had great wide receivers at LSU. He's doing just fine. So I think that's where you have to be a nuanced evaluator to be able to take Jaden, look at the throws, and not pay attention to that it's Malik Neighbors or Brian Thomas Jr. you gotta, you got to grade the throw. And, and the same thing for him as a runner. Guy had 1,200 yards rushing in the SEC. That is not easy to do at the quarterback position. So I, I think it's just a matter of giving him credit where credit is due. And, and some people are going to be late on that. I'm a huge fan of his game. You know, he's a, a top five player for me. And I, I think, you know, he's a rookie starter that could really change an offense if someone lets him loose a little bit. Yeah, we're hoping here that the Falcons don't end up trading up to get him. <laughs> yeah, that's tough, right? <laughs> or you want to you root for the guy all through his career. But, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's a lot of teams, not just Atlanta. There's a lot of teams that are going to be aggressive about finding that quarterback because not to get too far ahead, but, you know, next year's quarterback class doesn't have that guy in it. There's not a Trevor Lawrence. There's not a Caleb Williams. There's not someone that we know of right now that is that surefire number one pick going back to college. So I think we're going to see teams be aggressive for the Jaden Daniels and J.J. McCarthy's of this class. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was actually my next question because, yeah, the, the 2025 class right now sure, certainly doesn't look any – it looks a lot closer to the 2021 class where – I'm not sure there was a first-round pick in it. The Steelers obviously went and got Kenny Pickett. I, I don't think he was a first-round pick talent, but whatever. Obviously, the top the top three guys are are kind of ironclad in terms of these guys are going in the top half of the first round, even if Jaden falls. He's not falling that far. But as you get further down the board and you look at guys like Knicks, Penix, McCarthy, you know, do you see teams even like teams trading up maybe into the back end of the first just because you look at it and you're like, we probably aren't going to have this opportunity next year to go get a guy if if this is the guy we like and he's there now we have to go do it I'm just curious do you think that there is going to be a little more urgency from some of these teams that aren't in those kind of prime positions to either pick a quarterback or trade into the top half to go get a guy maybe in the 20s if he falls there yeah definitely and I mean I think McCarthy there's so much buzz about McCarthy being a top 
10 to 15 pick. I'll be surprised if he gets out of the top 15. So then it's like, okay, how comfortable are you with Bo Nix? You know, especially right ahead of, of the Saints. You've got Minnesota, Denver, and Las Vegas. Those are all quarterback needy teams. And so if you, you know, say, okay, we're not going to go quarterback this year. We're going to wait as the Saints. This is kind of good news for you because the more good players are going to get pushed down you as teams go quarterback. But I do think that, you know, there's going to be pressure on teams to say, okay, we got to get a guy this year because of, you know, Carson Beck, Quinn Ewers, Shador Sanders, they're not they're not bad players in any way. We could be talking about them very highly a year from now, but they're not the guys that you're getting super excited about as prospects right now. So I do think that they're if we see a Bo Nix slip to the 20s and it's one of those teams that didn't get a quarterback in the top three, do you try to come back up? If you're the New York Giants and you miss out on the big three uh, at pick six, do you try to move up from 39? I, I think, you know, the Washington Commanders, if they decide not to at two for some reason, well, they pick again at 40. Uh, and 36, so they could potentially trade back up. But uh, I do think we're going to see, as it looks right now, free agency could change everything, but as it looks right now, there are a lot more teams that need quarterbacks than have them, and so those first five should come off the board pretty quickly. Checking out the Saints pick in your uh, the second round of your mock draft. Really like the pick. Jeff, you got to see Xavier Legette out at the Senior Bowl. Uh, seems like a perfect replacement for a guy like Michael Thomas, who I don't think anyone is expecting back with the black and gold. Yeah, and powerful. It kind of like Thomas in that mold of like he's just going to physically overpower you to get to the ball. Uh, didn't run as well in person as I expected. Um, I was a little surprised by that. But he does on tape show run after catch ability. And he has speed. You know, there are moves on his tape where he is – you know, putting a shoulder on a guy and then breaking away for a long run. So that ability there, when you have a Chris Olave, you can go with, I think, a more physical option opposite him, somebody that is going to be your, you know, a little bit of your power forward type wide receiver. And that's what that's who Leggett is. So again, trying to build out this team with, that has a, a decent amount of needs and perpetual salary cap problems. I really went into this thinking, like, how can you turn something into a strength? You got an offense that was productive last year it was the number nine ranked offense in the nfl last year based on points so how can you turn something into a strength showing up the offensive line definitely is is in mind but getting bowers and like getting big body pass catchers that have run up for catchability could really open things up sharp pivot here but this is something i've been wondering about because you know i think it, when you're a team that's looking for kind of a, a nickel corner prospect in the draft i think there's a disconnect between at times okay you played a ton in the slot in college versus you profile to the slot at the NFL level. Like a guy like Mike Sanders still, he played a ton of the slot in college. Yeah. But a lot of times it's like, yeah, you're the best. You're the NFL prospect. You're going to be put in the most premium position, which isn't always in the slot. So I'm curious if there are any either safety cornerback prospects that you love in terms of transitioning to being a slot corner in the NFL as you kind of go through maybe the first three rounds of, of this draft. Yeah, I'd say Russell is definitely one of them. Uh, Andrew Phillips at Kentucky is another one that I think fits that mold, and he'll probably be like a early third-round pick, but he had a great senior bowl week. I mean, his, his instincts, his closing ability, like they scream inside player to me, but he's tough enough to play inside. Uh, 5'10", 190 pounds is, is the reason that he's probably looked at as an inside guy as opposed to an outside because all the skill set's there. So he definitely fits that mold. Uh, Jerry Jones from Florida State, a little bit of a not late round, but later, probably around five. Uh, another guy that I think fits that mold of just going to be a really, really good nickel for a long time. And mm -hmm. there's so much value in that that uh, that he definitely fits that, that group as well. I know, I know you already put your mock draft out, but if you're looking at this top three quarterback group do you think that Caleb Williams is truly head and shoulders 
above these other two guys? Or is this a little bit, it, it seems like you, you get in these situations where it's a ton of hype and you've, we've been talking about Caleb Williams for so long. <laughs> But then you, you kind of look, I feel like kind of like you get in that Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud scenario where it's like people were in love with Bryce Young and then they never really looked long enough at C.J. Stroud, at least the Panthers didn't. So I'm curious where you land on that. Do you think that is Caleb Williams this generational prospect that, that people have become convinced that he is? Or does there, is there a little bit more work there than, than people are admitting? So I think both, uh, and I know that might sound like a hedge, I think he is a really rare unique quarterback prospect and he's the best prospect I've seen since Andrew Luck and I was like Joe Burrow's fan club outside of the state of Louisiana like I was I was the biggest Burrow guy so uh, that's saying that with all due respect toward Joe I think also there are things that Caleb will have to work at you know there were a lot of fumbles uh, and he's gonna have to clean that up I think he got into this weird habit of knowing the team around him wasn't very good and it was like man I better make something happen here or if our defense has to do this we're gonna lose which is what happened a lot this year so he's gonna have to get some of those bad habits out of his game where he did truly think I gotta put everything on my back I gotta make you know crazy plays so often and that's where some of the the bad moments came over but that was a historically bad USC defense. And I think a lot of people are probably just watching, you know, the Caleb Williams clips, which is important to do, but you got to remember like their defense is giving up like 36 points a game. So he's trying to do a lot to keep them in games that that led to some of the decisions where people want to pull a clip on Twitter and say, that'll never work in the NFL. It's like, well, we don't want him to do that in the NFL. Hopefully his defense can keep people under 24 and maybe he'll have a fighting chance week in, week out. But I do think he's a really good prospect. And that's not to take anything away from Jaden or from Drake May or any of the other quarterbacks in this class. You know, they are very deserving of being a a top two or top three pick. And in most classes, I think Jaden Daniels would be a number one quarterback. So would Drake May. So those guys deserve all the accolades as well. You know, saying Caleb is great shouldn't shouldn't take away from how good Drake or Jaden will be. ESPN's Matt Miller, thank you again. Definitely looking forward to more of your stuff coming out with the uh, NFL Combine cranking up next week. You bet, guys. Thanks so much. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.